0: Minds be engaged with you through your word, by your spirit. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to, Father, take seriously this calling upon our lives as individual believers and as local churches and your church universal to be, Lord, your light. And Father, we thank you for giving us, Lord, direction for being a God who has spoken and is not silent so that we might know how to live in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Well, Southern Baptists, that's what we are, have been uh, in the news this week and not in a good way. If you are not one with uh, much of a Southern Baptist background, you may not know the names or personalities, or even if you've been one for a long time, you may not know. But what's going on is is this. Um, An old recording uh, reemerged on the internet of a message given by Paige Patterson, the president of our seminary in Texas, Southwestern, where one of our pastors uh, went years ago, in which Dr. Patterson was talking about a woman who came to him who was suffering some physical abuse in the home, and basically his counsel was for her to stay uh, in the home and to um, pray um, in the presence of the husband by the bed at night. He said, it may get worse, but you stay there. And so this woman had come with him with two black eyes. After that uh, occurred, she came again. She had two black eyes, and she said, I hope you're happy. And he said, uh, yes, I'm very happy. Because her husband had heard her prayers, had come to church for the first time. The next day, he was in the back. Long story short, as he fell under conviction, was converted, and his life changed, and their their whole marriage changed. Well, since his comments came out, um, it set off a firestorm, and um, so we have people like my former boss at Lifeway, who was my boss at Southern Seminary, Tom Rainer. He issued a statement on Monday declaring that there's no level or type of abuse of women that is acceptable. We've been called by God to show honor and respect to all women and girls. They are mothers, our sisters, our daughters, our granddaughters, and our wives, and I stand with all who say no to any type of abuse of women at any time and under any circumstance. Um, Then beyond that, uh, Russ Moore of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission chimed in to agree with Dr. Rayner and then Ed Stetzer. And I used to work with both of these men as well. Ed now heads the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. He wrote a very long piece in which he, in addition to the first statement, um, alluded to another unwise moment in a message that Dr. Patterson delivered a few years ago in which he objectified a 16 year old girl. And essentially he declared, uh, that it's time for Dr. Patterson to retire. So this week, the Southwestern trustees have issued a statement. Dr. Patterson has clarified his point and talked about the fact that he's counseled other people to get out of situations, protection of women, those kinds of things. Now I've been picked up by the secular media with articles in the Washington Post, and all of this is building because next month in Dallas at our annual Southern Baptist Convention uh, Dr. Patterson is scheduled to give the convention speech. I know all of these men. they're all good men. They all love the Lord. But anyway, you slice it. this tells us that how we deal with issues between the sexes is certainly a matter related to Jesus' call for his people to be the light of the world. And just by the way, if you ever come to me and say, "My husband's beating me up," I would tell you to have him arrested. And if he's a member of our church, we would get involved in relationship to disciplinary procedure of confrontation. And um, we'll seek to get you out of that situation until we can deal with the further matters that would unfold from that, because there's no room in any way whatsoever for that to take place. But that is why we're exploring in this series called Luminaries, Practical Things. We're seeking to look at Many of the practical implications of what it means to be the light of the world. And this gets down to the brass tacks of how we live out our lives in the local church. And we're not only called to be light, but as we said, as we've developed this series, we as believers are also called to be ambassadors. We are witnesses. Indeed, the scripture calls us priests of God. And so these callings upon our life call all of us to do some hard praying and studying as individual Christians and his churches in relationship to how this applies to my life and how we're to live this out as a local church. Well, this is the fifth message in this series, and we started it last week in a message entitled Displaying Light Among the Sexes, in which we're looking at how we as God's people are to be distinct distinct in how we live and our relationships with each other as men and women. So I want to kind of complete the third point from what we were in last week, and as I told you last week, as we teach through this, it's going to be a little bit different than how I normally do. When I reach the point where I see you're ready to go to Carly's for lunch, then we will stop, and then we will pick back up uh, the next time. So we read the passage in Matthew 19, now I want you to turn to a second passage we will deal with today, time permitting, in 1 Corinthians 7:10 through 15 Paul says, to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So last week, we said that in general relationships between the sexes, we're to treat each other as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, who are equal in worth, and we're to treat each other in a way that we never treat or think of our brothers and sisters in sexually inappropriate ways, objectifying some of the opposite sex, and this includes also in, in our speech, as we talked about, with coarse jesting, and how we talk about each other, how we talk to one another. And so it works in keeping our integrity with each other. Secondly, we said we're also to seek to build marriages that are rooted in Christian love and respect and begin to maintain our marriages as covenant relationships with our marriages designed to reflect Christ's love for His church. We have a mission in our marriages as Christians. And our greatest mission is that we want our marriages to reflect Jesus' faithful love for His church. And the church is faithful response to Jesus the Lord. And so we live out that covenant relationship. And this leads us to our message today in which we see from Scripture that as Christians, to be Christ-like, we are called to marry, divorce, and remarry, if that's what God sanctions, on specific biblical grounds. We cannot marry and divorce like the world. And that's why I talk about this in light of no-fault divorce or incompatibility. We are not allowed as Christians to divorce on grounds outside of the Bible, and to do so is grievous sin. Now, in recent years, it has been reported that the rate of divorce among evangelical Christians mirrors that in the world. In fact, there was a recent study put out by three Baylor University researchers who said that actually the divorce rate among evangelicals to the general culture is higher But the pushback has been in relationship to what do you mean by an evangelical? And so when people are asked deeper questions like, are you regularly involved in worship? Do you take the Bible as your authority? Do you pray regularly? And all those those things. The rate of divorce among those type of evangelicals who are serious about their faith is lower than the culture at large. As a matter of fact, those who attend church regularly are 35% less likely to get a divorce. Perception, however, is reality. And the perception in our culture and even, I think, in the church is that the church is not giving off the best light when it comes to marriage and divorce. And part of that responsibility lies with the fact that we aren't aren't doing really good teaching about this issue of marriage and divorce and policy. And I think that is true. And I know that any Bible-believing pastor is wrestling with how to respond to the somewhat cavalier way people are just abandoning their marriages and going on as if that is okay. In fact, saying things like this, and I've had people say this to me, well, you know, Pastor, I, I prayed about it, and I just believe the Lord is okay with this. He's told me this in my heart. And I said, well, you have a real problem there because the Holy Spirit, who inspired this word, says something else than what you're saying in your heart. And your heart's not the authority. The Word of God is your authority. But I hear that sometimes. And we stand in danger of losing our distinctiveness in contrast to the culture. But you know, we cannot throw up our hands and surrender to the culture as churches. We must commit to doing the hard work, and it is hard work, of teaching and living the truths of Scripture so that in our marriages we can be the light that we need. There have been many sleepless nights in my life over the years trying to work through types, these types of issues and reading, and studying, and praying, and crying, and seeking the Lord, because I'm going to give an account someday in regards to what I teach you, and so I take these things very seriously, and so that's what I'm moving into today in relationship to marriage, so as I said last week, my intention is not to dredge up hurt regarding past life decisions, hurts if you've been divorced, nor do I want to increase your pain if you're in the midst of a divorce. And whether or not you had biblical grounds or not, we believe in the grace of God to forgive sin. There's only one unforgivable sin, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so if you've genuinely repented, sought to deal with the fallout regarding forgiveness, sought to build relationships we want you to be forward-looking, not backward-looking. And for all of us, listen, we're never to look down on one another for our failures as Christians. We never want anyone to feel like a second-class believer. We all need the grace of God, for we all sin. But having said that, we must deal honestly with the Scripture. And so having said that, we must look at what the Bible says and move forward toward obedience what is taught so that we can be the light. So, I want to make and elaborate upon certain, several statements in relationship to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I have three I want to talk about today. We won't finish this today. I hope I finish these three. Y'all ready to go? You need to stand up, stretch? You ready? You good? All right. Buggle up. Here we go. First of all, when we look in the Word of God, we must say, first off, that God has always hated And still hates divorce. You know, God specifically says that to us back in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. If you look back to the Old Testament into uh, the uh, Minor Prophets, the last book, right before you come to the New Testament. So go to Matthew and go back a couple of pages and you'll find Malachi. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, God says, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. God hates divorce. And he says this over and over again in the word of the Lord, that I, the Lord, hate divorce. And he's clear about that issue. And so, while culture treats divorce lightly as a contract that is broken, and we can just go make another contract, we know that God does not look at it in this way. Anytime a divorce takes place, there is sin involved somewhere in the equation. There is hurt and fallout. And God always despises the dissolution of a marriage. He hates it. It's never a thing to celebrate or treat lightly. Now, we don't think, have to think very hard about why God hates divorce. God hates divorce because it is destructive. I believe it was the novelist Pat Conroy, who was not writing as a Christian, but in his novel, The Prince of Tides, who said that every divorce is the death of a small civilization. And that's true. Every divorce is the death of a small civilization. And if you have enough of that going on in a civilization or a culture, you eventually destroy the entire culture. Divorce leaves people destitute financially, shortens lifespans, leaves deep hurts and scars, and wounds the whole next generation. And so, you know, some of these stats are here in relationship. Chuck Colson shared these some years ago, that children in single-parent families are six times more likely to be poor, and half the single mothers in the U.S. Are, live below the poverty line. Uh. He says when divorced parents marry again, their children are not any better off. Some studies actually show that the children develop increased pathologies. Preschool children in step family, for example, are 40 times more likely to suffer physical or sexual abuse. A study that examined the impact of divorce 10 years after the divorce found that among two thirds of divorced couples, one partner is still depressed and financially precarious. And among a quarter of all divorced couples, both former partners are worse off, suffering loneliness and depression. Divorce affects physical health. Children of divorce are more prone to illness, accidents, and suicide. Divorced men are twice as likely as married men to die from heart disease, stroke, hypertension, and cancer. They're four times more likely to die in auto accidents and suicide. And the odds are seven times higher for pneumonia and cirrhosis of the liver. And on and on it goes. When we think about the destructive nature of divorce and what it does, it often scars some people. For life, Kurt Cobain, who was a grunge rock star, committed suicide some years ago. And reporters digging into his private life discovered that when he was eight years old, his parents divorced, sending him in a sharp downward spiral. It destroyed him, admits his mother, Wendy Cobain. He changed completely. The experience was so painful that when Cobain made an earlier suicide attempt in 1994, he had a note in his pocket that said, I'd rather die then go through a divorce. Eventually, he took his life. And so, we can talk about all of those things in relationship to its destructiveness, and that's very true. That's one reason God hates it, but God hates it for us as Christians because it undermines what our marriages are supposed to be, married to a believer, and that is that there will be a covenant reflecting God's love for his church. And we must be the people who remind our culture that God never intends divorce, though as we shall see, He permits it in some some circumstances. And we should be the people in the culture who have the highest respect for marriage, work hardest to maintain our marriages, and lastly, be the ones that want to seek a divorce. Secondly, when we marry, we are permitted only to marry a fellow Christian of the opposite sex. So if I've been divorced and there's grounds for divorce and remarriage, I can only marry another Christian of the opposite sex. If I'm a widow, I can only marry another Christian of the opposite sex. If I've never been married, I can only marry a Christian of the opposite sex. To marry anybody else is to sin against God, is to be outside of the will of God so that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you will go back to the passage that we read a few moments ago, in verse 39, he says that a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. That is, we must marry another Christian. So this idea of in the Lord or belonging to the Lord means that that's my circle, right? That's, that's, that's the pool that's there. So if you say, if your mate died, you were free to marry, your field of candidates to be in God's will would have to be a believer. Now this means a true believer. That is, someone in which there is fruit in their life of being a believer. Someone who is seeking to obey Christ. Someone who loves his church. Christ's church, loves Christ's People. A person that you can find other believers who will say, and pastors and leaders to vouch for, yeah, this person is, as far as we can tell, a Christian. They have fruit in their life. Sometimes when I see professing Christians become widows or widowers or go through divorce and are free to remarry, which I will come to later, and began to date, I, I see the decisions they begin to make sometimes when dating, and I want to say to them sometimes, are you out of your ever-loving mind? <laughs> Let me put it this way. Suppose Jerry Joe or I went to glory before the other. And you're watching how I, as your pastor, process that, this as a believer. And what would you, you think? And I'll make myself the subject here for argument's sake and so I won't get in trouble with my wife. <laughs> if Jerry Joe went to glory and I got the life insurance, you know, proceeds <laughs> and I went through a, a crisis went out and found a, a vintage antique Yugo because that would be about all I could afford with the life insurance. You don't even know what a Yugo is, do you? Those, those horrible little cars that came from Yugoslavia at the end of the last century. That would be my sports car. So, it would be my, my dating machine. So, anyway. So, suppose I, I did that as your pastor. And I began to find this, another woman. And, you know, I can't deal with all the scenarios right now, but I'm just dealing with the issue of a Christian, all right? I'm only supposed to be with a Christian, if I found this person and thought I wanted to marry them, would, would you be interested to know regarding me, your pastor, if she's a Christian? I think that you would, and rightly so. And so, uh, Donnie, is she, is she a Christian? And, and if I say, well, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I have a friend of the Y introduced us. This person began to dating somebody that they were working with, and, and I'm dating her, and you say, are you are Christian? And you hear my reply, well, I think she is. She says she is. She's I don't even go there. <laughs> Would that be satisfactory to you, my Christian family? What if I went on to say this about her? Well, you know, she says she made a decision some years ago, but in the past few years she hasn't plugged into a Christian family, into a church. She really doesn't have a pastor to whom she's accountable. She really likes to be outside. She's an outdoors girl who likes to be on the lake on the weekends with her friends. They like to hang out and go camping or fishing or the races or the beach, like to throw back a few suds, but they are really great. We really get along well. She has a servant's heart. She's always on the back of a motorcycle with somebody when it's raising the Toys for Tots motorcycle ride at Christmas. She's right in there. She says she wants to get plugged back into church, but right now she's working through some issues. Or if I said, you know, she's really nice, but she doesn't get along well with her kids or many others in her family, but she is a person who is very helpful to others and has a good heart, would you love me so little to say, well, pastor, we're just so happy for you. (laughs) We're so glad the Lord has blessed you by giving you this new person with whom you really seem to be bonding? Would you say, y'all look so cute in your Snapchat and Instagram pictures when you're camping together or whatever else you may happen to be doing together. It looks like you're really getting serious. What do your kids think? Do they like her? No, here's what I hope you would do. I would hope, beyond how you would handle me as a brother, beyond even the consideration of whether or not I should be leading the church anymore, (laughs) that you would look me in the eye and say, are you out of your ever-loving mind? (laughs) Listen, I want that to become a moniker of accountability for us in matters of life. I hope that if you have someone in your class making such poor decisions regarding the issue of is this person you're involved with, a Christian that perhaps the class would have the gumption to meet with you and say, are you out of your ever-loving mind? Perhaps, Chase, we should develop a (laughs) t-shirt. Put that in your budget for next year. With that on it, for these such occasions, you can get them out of the bookstore as a class, are you out of your ever-loving mind? And you can go and present the t-shirt to them. (laughs) Say, this is not a good track. So if we remarry... We're only ever allowed to remarry a believer who is free. And as a Christian, you or I, if this ever happens to me, we should seek many true Christians' wisdom on this matter who will help us look for evidence and seek the counsel of your pastors. And in this day and age, if you have any sense, I would also encourage you to do a personal and financial background check on the person. Oh, and by the way, Jesus does not care whether or not you are 15, 25, 35, 50, 65, or 85. I perform one wedding here for a 90-year-old. Until we are married, we're called to celibacy, and to fail to obey Him in this matter is not only sinful but unwise and certainly undermines our ability to be ambassadors and witnesses and to be His light. Even to do anything in such a way that that's called into question of whether or not I'm maintaining my sexual fidelity if I'm dating. And so we are always turn from that type of sin, sin from which we're demanded to repent of sex outside of marriage. And so, if I'm going to remarry, I must marry a who? A Christian. And it must be a true Christian. And thirdly, what time is it? 11.26, we're way ahead of the game. We're doing good here. Third thing, we must submit to the biblical teaching that the grounds upon which we can divorce with God's approval are very defined. And so go back, if you would, now to Matthew chapter 19, where we find the words of Jesus. You find Jesus addressing this here. You find parallels in Mark and Luke. You also find it in Matthew 5. So in Matthew 19, we have these guys come to Jesus, Pharisees. Verse 3, they said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? They're testing Jesus. And perhaps you're not aware of the circumstances surrounding this discussion, so let me take just a moment to set the context. In Israel, you had two main schools of thought regarding divorce. One school was very liberal, the Hillel school. The names come from the names of rabbis who are associated with these various schools of thought in Israel. So the Hillel school, and you had the more conservative school, the school of Shammai. Now the phrase in Matthew 19 verse 3 says, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason here, for any cause... That was a technical term for how they would deal with Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four. So, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four, verse one, this is what they're dealing with here. They had all this whole school of thought, all of the rules, and how you deal with these things in Israel. A man could not; do, a woman couldn't divorce her husband. That's why it talks about a man putting the wife away. But a man could divorce the wife. So in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, it says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her away from his house. So that's, that's the issue. That what does it mean of finding something displeasing to him or something indecent about her? So this phrase, for any cause, is related to this. Well, in the more liberal school of Hillel, they interpreted this idea of finding no favor because of some indecency, very liberal. So Rabbi Hillel said that you could divorce, quote, a man may divorce his wife even if she burned his soup or spoiled a dish for him. Rabbi Akiba said, another one from this school, that divorce was acceptable if he should find a woman fairer than his wife. So if you found a woman better looking, you could marry her. Divorce was permissible then in this school for anything from bad cooking to wrinkles as long as you wrote her the bill of divorce. The Shammai school was more conservative and saw this passage in Deuteronomy 24 and others related to it as teaching that only because of marital unfaithfulness can one be permitted to divorce or only during the betrothal period. Remember when Joseph thought Mary had had sexual relationships and they were engaged, and he was going to put her away quietly in the betrothal period. And someone interpreted that was the grounds upon which one could, could break off the marriage before it was fully done. And so that's the more conservative view. And historically, Protestants, which we are, have seen this as the right understanding of that Jesus was essentially agreeing with this school, the more conservative school. And so on those grounds... The Protestant position for 500 years, the majority position has been that a Christian is allowed to divorce where there is adultery or marital unfaithfulness, and sometimes you have to get down to the particulars of what does that entail in a relationship. But in that the position has been majority that one is permitted to divorce and remarry within certain parameters. One being that you marry a Christian who is free. Now in actuality, there are three prevalent views in our culture now, and I don't want to get into a lecture here with you, but let me just, uh, I, I don't know any other way to deal with this than just to talk to you. There are three prevalent views. I told you one of them. Recently, there's been a move in two directions in evangelical thought. One has been most associated with John Piper, and he argues that Jesus did not agree with the second school of Shammai, that he didn't agree with any of the, either of the schools. But that when they asked Jesus the question, Jesus said, Have you not read how it was from the beginning that God made them male and female? And that you are to marry and not divorce? That's God's intention. And that's what Mark says and Luke says without the uh, verse that talks about the exception that Jesus gives in Matthew 19. And so Piper, and he's persuaded a number of people now for his position... It says that there is never any grounds for Christians to divorce and never any grounds for remarriage. That's one direction things have gone. And so in their policies and their church, they do not recognize divorce. No biblical grounds. Piper would say you can divorce in the engagement period as Joseph planned to do regarding Mary for unfaithfulness and that's what the text is talking about in the exception. The other view is related to a scholar named David Inston Brewer who widens the ground of divorce arguing with other passages out of the Old Testament to include marital unfaithfulness and also emotional and physical neglect. And that has taken hold among some but not most pastors and scholars. And then the third is the traditional Protestant view going back to the Reformation which is the approach that I am taking. The approach is still held by I think our best New Testament scholar in our country and in perhaps the world, D.A. Carson, theologians like Wayne Grudem, is where we've been for hundreds of years, which says that infidelity is one ground upon which one may divorce, besides dealing with a remarriage issue. But even in that instance, that should not be our first response if our Christian mate commits adultery. Our first response It's not that we have to divorce them, we may, but our desire should be to work to save it to the best of our ability. Now the other exception is the one Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, when he says, if you're married to an unbeliever, he says, if I'm married to a person who is not a Christian, so you have two people and they're going along in life, and one of them comes to know Christ and the other does not that non-Christian wants to keep living with you, you are not to put them away. But, he goes on to say, if they leave, they don't want to live with you. Paul says, let them go. And then he says that the believer is, is not under obligation. Literally, is a term related to slavery. It's the idea that you're actually set free in that idea. And traditionally, it's been understood that you're set free to remarry another Christian. Now, how we apply these things can go in several different directions. But as thorny and difficult as it can be, we have no choice but to deal with the text if we consider the Bible to be God's Word. The question is, how can I most closely love, obey, and represent Jesus in this situation? And we'll return to look at this in another message, for marriage is one of the most critical areas we have to deal with when it comes to being light bearers, So we have to deal with things like this. If I have divorced on unbiblical grounds and remarried, what should I do? If I remarried on unbiblical grounds, am I living in perpetual adultery? If I'm separated from my maid or divorced and we're both believers, but there was no infidelity and we're still not remarried, am I commanded to try and restore that relationship and possibly even remarry? Well, these are some of the things and other things of application that we will look at in the next message. You may ask, well, why do we care? Well, we care because we want to obey God. And we care because we want unbelievers to know that there is a Savior who desires to take them to be His bride. To give them forgiveness and faithfulness that He will never let them go and eternal life and complete restoration. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5. And if you're not a Christian here today, we want our marriages to reflect the fact that there is a Savior who loves you, who wants to enter a relationship with you, claim you as His bride, wash you, cleanse you, make you whole, take you home forever and ever. He wants you to come to Him and trust Him, ask Him in your life, receive Him and the forgiveness that He offers because He died for you. He died for you. That's how much He loves you. And we want our marriages to point you to Him. This also is something that's very serious because this will also call us as a church to think hard about these things and for us to develop positions and policy that is clear to all. And that's what I want to do as we move forward. And I'll talk to you more about how I want to rearrange how I'm working in my job here as your pastor so that I can get more attention to these areas that I have mentioned to you before in relationship to policy then I'm going to have to rearrange what I'm doing to help us get these things done just for the sake of time that it's going to take to work through all of this but we must do it in light of this and other things we talked about in the past with the changes in laws we also want always to be champions of grace No matter what you're going through in this area, we want you to draw nearer to the church and to the pastors and God's people. Not run away when you're going through these types of stresses and wrestling with marriage and divorce and to make more mistakes perhaps, commit more sin that will further complicate your life. We want you to know that we love you and we believe in the grace of God and a way to work through these things with you. And so we want you to be drawn toward us in this way And so as we close today, I just hope that you can hear my heart as I'm sharing this with you and that we can settle upon that the grounds biblically upon which we may divorce are two. It's not because of incompatibility, not because we don't get along, not because you've changed. Those are not our options. Maybe how the culture operates not how we're to operate. But again, as I said, if you've handled this in a way that doesn't reflect this in your life, we believe in the grace of God. And some people counsel, you know, if you have divorced and remarried, read an article the other day, you did it wrongly, you must divorce this mate and go find this mate and break up that marriage and get back together. That person's an idiot. (laughs) That's not what we're to do. We want to live in the grace of God and be forward-looking. And if you are here and you've not trusted Christ, we invite you to come. And if you've been visiting our church and you want to be a part of a fellowship where we seriously want to lovingly look at the Word and apply it and live under it, we invite you to come be a part of Concord. Maybe you've not been baptized, you need to take this step in your life. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, our response song today is, Come Just As You Are, and we invite you to come. I know these are not stem-winder messages that make us all just say hallelujah this feels good but it's the truth of the word and I'm called to preach to you the whole counsel of God and that's what I'm intending to do I always hope you know my heart and I need your prayers as well that I try to get it right I need your forgiveness when I mess up when I do things you don't agree with we're a family and that's what it means to work together, love together, live together as God's people. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you now for uh, your wonderful grace that, Lord, covers all of our sin, that, Lord, all of us as Christians, if we've dealt with confession, we stand before you together. Help us, Lord, never make one another feel subpar or that we're sitting in some harsh judgment light of someone but Lord to be able to encourage each other along the way God help us as your people in a culture that's disintegrating all around us and Lord to be that island in the middle of it where there's hope and beauty fidelity, truth and commitment in a way Lord that the world can see there's something different about those people there's something different about them even when Their marriages are in trouble. Someone has done something horribly wrong. There's something different even then about how they try to handle it. So God help us. I pray for those in this room who are hurting. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Recently through a divorce. Trying to find their way forward, Lord. Sometimes unsure of the next step to take. God, protect them from the enemy. Protect them from the temptations that would pull them away from you. Help them to rely upon your people more diligently to lean on us harder in these times that we can walk through these things together. And Father, we just pray now that you would accomplish in this time of commitment what you want. We pray this in Jesus.